Father, we worship you. You are holy. You are holy to your own name. Utterly devoted to displaying and proclaiming its worth. Father, you have done everything in displaying your glory to us by sending your own son. There is no greater gift, no greater display of your own glory, the collective value of all your attributes and works and words by sending your son. That's the greatest thing you could ever do and you did it. God, we worship you. We gather here this morning to praise you for that very act and all that it accomplished for us. God, would you continue to help us worship you as we look into your word now. Would you help us to see Jesus? We pray in your name, amen. Amen, please be seated. It is a joy to be with you uh, again uh, this morning. And um, it is always a joy uh, to be with you. Can I have a pen? That's perfect. One with a clip. Oh, my man. Thank you. It's a little, little windy up here. just needed to tie this down. If you have a Bible with you, you can flip it open to Psalm 67, and your finger can tie that down. We're going to be there all morning. Psalm 67. Just crack your Bible in half. Go a little bit to the left. It should be there, whatever Bible you have. And if you don't have a Bible with you, that's no problem. There's ushers eager to hand those Bibles out. Just raise your hand if you need a hard copy of God's Word. If you don't own a hard copy of God's Word, um, feel free to take that home with you. And that's a free gift for you. And um, so open up to Psalm 67 or scroll there in your app. And what we're going to be looking at here is this psalm. And it's about singing. Uh, I don't know what your house is like. If you, t- if you come to my house, typically there's people singing all the time. You'll find songs getting sung at our house, whether someone's up in their bedroom, in the hallway, definitely in the bathroom shower, uh, the kitchen, in the basement. You are going to hear someone sing. And it's wonderful. I love it. One of the best times uh, that our family has in singing is family worship. And uh, something that we, we try to do, we're not perfect in doing, but we try to get the family together at a certain time. Mornings are working right now for us. And we keep it really simple, read, pray, sing. We want to read a bit of the word, pray together, and sing a song. And sometimes we sing a song that we've heard on Sunday, maybe a new one. Or we've collected old hymnals over the years, and we crack those open, sing some classics. But it's great. It's in the morning, so we're just making a joyful noise at that, at that moment. But it is so great, so great to hear uh, our kids sing. I love our family's uh, time of worship. Uh, the other time I love hearing the family sing is here, uh, when the family of God comes together, us as brothers and sisters in Christ, singing and declaring the glories of Christ and all that he has done, and singing at the top of our lungs. We have this astounding privilege in our country to do that still. You can sing as loud as you want, just at the top of your lungs and praise Jesus for all that he has done. And what we do as a family, we are, are gathering from all around the world, from various peoples and ethnicities, coming from different areas and continents in Christ to declare the worth of the one true and living God. And this is actually a part of what the church has been doing for a long time. If you look in Ephesians 5, this is actually a part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 says that when you're filled with the Spirit, one of the marks of being filled with the Spirit is that you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody from your heart to the Lord. That's a, that's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. So singing is really kind of in our blood. It's like the sap that's just running through the family tree. You are saved to sing. And so it's not a shock to us at all when we look into God's word. Right in the middle, there is an entire section of songs called the Psalms. These, this is like the, the, the hymnal of uh, the Christian church throughout the ages. And you see here, right in Psalm 67 is a song. 
And it's a unique song in that it is a prayer about the mission of God and how we as the people of God are on that mission praying for God to fulfill it. So let me just read that for us. And if you'd be so kind to stand where you are in the reading of God's word just to show honor to his word. Psalm 67. This is the word of the Lord. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations. Oh, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Oh, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. That's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You can see here, Psalm 67, it's a prayer. It's a plea, an urgent petition for God to do something. Really for God to answer a prayer and to fulfill a promise that he gave a long time ago. In verse 1, it starts out by saying this. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Now that may jog your memory and take you back to Genesis 3. In Gen- sorry, Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3 say this. This is God speaking to a man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, Abraham. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a promise. Now, there's many things being said here by God to Abraham, but two things that stand out. There are these two unconditional, no-strings-attached promises of God that God gives Abraham. One, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Two, Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through you. So, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but I'm also going to bless the world, but it's going to be through you. Now, this promise is pretty amazing. It's it's an incredible promise. And I think it's important for us to kind of pause and get an idea. What does it mean for God to bless someone? There's a lot of confusion, I think, in our day as to what blessing is or isn't. Uh, We hear, you know, when someone sneezes, you'll hear someone say, oh, bless you. Or you're sending a text or an email or something like that. And at the end, you say, God bless. Or you hear someone on the TV asking for a thousand bucks. If you send it in, God will bless you. And you're kind of wondering, what does this word mean? What's this phrase mean? What does it mean to be blessed by God? And it simply means this. It means to experience all the goodness of God. To experience the fullness of God. His presence, his character, his works, his gracious works, his words, everything. You get all of God. All of his patience and love and kindness and mercy, his discipline, his patience with you in leading you along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You get all of God, most specifically his presence, that he's with us. And we, we experience God, we experience the fullness of God, all of his goodness, not because we've bought it, Not because we've earned it, not because someone bestowed it to you in their will and you inherited it. It's something we receive by faith. We receive it by faith. And not some kind of mystical faith of just like, I'm just going to believe in God and I'm going to create my own ideas about God and believe in those ideas. That's not what the scripture says when it talks about faith. It talks about believing in God, putting our faith and trust in God's word. 
his scriptures. This is God's self-disclosure of, him, of himself. He has described himself. He has articulated and given us words, good words, true words, words without error, words that never fall or fail, words that are accurately describing who he is, what he has done, and how he has bound himself freely in promises to his own people. And as we read and come to know this God and put our faith and trust in him, we begin to experience what it means to be blessed by God. That is, we, we begin to experience what it means to have the fullness of God experienced, the goodness of God experienced. First, unto salvation. When we hear the truth about who God is and what he has done, particularly in the work of Jesus Christ, and we believe in that, we come to faith. We are saved. We are rescued. We begin a relationship with God. And his presence comes into us by the very person of the Holy Spirit. You can't get much closer than that. When God actually lives inside of you, he sets up shop inside of you. And then... As you continue to read and grow in your understanding of who he is and all that he has done and continue to believe and love that truth, you grow. You grow in your experience of all of God's goodness. When this happens, this is describing what it means to be blessed by God. And we, in turn, return thanks. We bless God in response. What that means, a great example of that would be in Ephesians 1 verse 3. In that passage, Paul's writing to the Christians in Ephesus, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul's saying, we bless, we praise, we honor God. Why? Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That means everything, all the blessings that he he himself is and has given. We, it is now ours because we have been adopted into his family. We are saved. We have been brought into fellowship with him. We are blessed. We're blessed actually in every way, completely. But the key in understanding this in the here and now, Ottawa 2020, is that we experience spiritual blessings right now and the physical blessings are guaranteed later in the new heavens and earth when Jesus returns. Sometimes there's confusion about that. Sometimes you'll hear on TV or on the radio that you can get everything right now. If you just name it, if you just claim it, if you just speak it forth, it will appear. Actually, it's pretty hard to find in Scripture. The promises actually that we find in Scripture is as you suffer, as you go through the waters, as you go through the fiery furnace... God is with us. He has given all of himself to us right now spiritually, and we await the physical. We await the complete, comprehensive physical blessing that is guaranteed in the new heavens and earth. For when, we, when he returns, we will see him, and we will be made like him. Our bodies will now reflect his resurrected body, and he's going to reno the entire cosmos. He's going to make this whole new heavens and earth. And that's when we will experience the comprehensive blessing of God, spiritually and physically. But in the here and now, we wait by faith, trusting in him. Of course he can heal. Of course he can give much grace in the various physical things. He can, he can grant you and give you by his kindness that job promotion at work or not. The only reason why he might give it or not give it is whatever is going to help you grow in Christ more. That is the will of God, your sanctification. Whatever is going to maximize your growth in Jesus Christ right now, that's what he is going to give you, whether it is healing or not giving you healing. He promises to give the grace either to heal or the grace to persevere in it. Either way, that you might be refined and grow in your relationship with Christ and in your own Christ-likeness as you reflect him. I felt like that was pretty necessary just to touch on what is blessing because it gets thrown around quite a bit. And when we look back on what Abraham is hearing from God, we need to be clear about what God is actually saying to Abraham. And it is this whole package. He's telling Abraham something that 
I don't even think Abraham fully comprehends at this moment. God's basically saying, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. That is, I am going to cause you to be able to experience all of me. You have no idea how good that is, Abraham. But you're not only going to experience all of me through a relationship by faith in me, Genesis 15 says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham now is in a faith union with God. He's in this relationship with God and now he's experiencing the fullness of God. But the blessing goes beyond Abraham to the ends of the earth. All families, all families of the earth will be blessed. They will be able to also know me and experience me. This is what Abraham is hearing. This is this promise of God, and this is what's referred to in verse 1. But you'll notice there's a little other piece here. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And then there's a second part in verse 1. And make his face to shine upon us. To make his face shine upon us. Again, that may also jog your memory to another person in the Old Testament. His name was Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. And he was the first high priest in Israel. And he was given this prayer by God to pray and pronounce over God's people. And this prayer is found in Numbers 6, 24 to 26, which says this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, the radiance of his face upon you and give you Peace. Now, I don't know if you've uh, been camping, uh, and you've, I don't know if you've ever had this experience when you've gone camping, and it's just been raining the whole time. You're cold. You're wet. It's gone through all of your clothes. You're, you're, it just feels like your soul is wet. You, just, you have not seen the sun in days. You wonder if it still exists. And then suddenly, on your campsite, the clouds part. And this shaft of light comes down, and you, you see the sun, and you see the shaft of light making its way towards you, and suddenly it hits you, and you just feel the rays of sun just hitting your face, and its warmth just pouring over your body and beginning to seep into your very soul, and you're like, this is wonderful. That's what God wants us to feel and experience and knowing what it's like for his face to shine upon his kids. That when he has caused and brought us into a relationship with us, he's caused us to get in a relationship with him, he wants us to know as his heavenly father, he looks upon his children in a very different way, in a way that's like sunshine smiling down on us. I I don't know if... You've ever seen a situation where a child looks up at their parent and calls out their name, and the parent turns and looks down at their child and smiles and says, yes, immediately that child feels recognized, loved, comforted, assured that their parent is giving them their attention. It's good. That smile of that parent on that child is assuring that child, we're good. I'm good. I'm in a good relationship with my mom, with my dad. This is this idea of God's face shining on his people, that he is for them. He loves them. He cares for them. He is providing for them. He is guiding them. His good gaze is always on them for good. To know that your heavenly father doesn't even need to blink. He's never blinked in his good gaze on you as one of his children always watching over you. This is the idea. This is what Aaron was to pray and pronounce. God, would you do this? Would you do the very thing that you want to do over your people? And this verse 1 is highlighting these two aspects, this promise given to Aaron, this prayer given to, sorry, this promise given to Abraham, this prayer given to Aaron, And asking, God, would you fulfill this promise and answer this prayer today? Would you do this today for your people? Would you bless us? Having God's face shine upon you is is synonymous. It's the same as being blessed by God. And would you do this in our day? Now, that is a dangerous prayer. 
why would God not just encourage us, but give here as an instruction on how to pray, God, would you bless us? You know, when, when I hear that sometimes today, I'm, I'm kind of curious what a person means by that because we, we've seen examples of, God, would you bless me? That, would, that Basically what they're saying is that, God, would you make me look awesome? Would you, would you help me get everything I want? Would everything go my way? But that is not what is being asked here. The prayer is, God, would you bless us? So why would God instruct us as God's people to pray such a dangerous prayer. It's for these four reasons. The first one is this, that in praying this prayer, God, would you cause us to experience your fullness, the full goodness of God? Why? So that the nations will sing his praise. The first reason is that the nations will sing his praise. You see this all throughout this psalm. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God wants his people to be so satisfied in him, to be so fulfilled in him and all of his goodness that they cannot help but sing. And as they sing, the nations kind of lean in and listen to the lyrics. And they're like, that's your God? Tell me more about this God. And they, they begin to listen to our song that's pouring out of our hearts because we are so satisfied with the greatness and the goodness of our God. This is what God, this is really his mission strategy for the ends of the earth so that all peoples will sing his praise. I remember it was 2002 in the summer. I was somewhere over the Atlantic on an airplane, and I had brought a book with me. I was heading to a, um, a mission trip. And the book was by John Piper. It says, Let the Nations Be Glad. That was the title. And I think it was on the first page. I read this line that completely changed the way I understood bringing the gospel to people who haven't heard yet. And the line that John Piper had said was this. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship doesn't. What he means is that there are places on the globe where the worship of, uh, worship of the one true and living God is not happening. That's where we need to go on mission to tell them about the one true and living God. Who is Jesus? What did he do? Because if there's, if there's a quietness, if there's a lack of worship in an area on the globe that is not resounding to the glory and the praise of God, that is exactly where we go with the gospel on mission. We go to places where people have not yet heard of the good news of Jesus Christ. We go on mission so that we can sing the gospel to them. So that they in turn can hear the lyrics of the gospel, put faith in Christ, and join the choir, and begin to sing the praises of God. Missions is all about worship. The Great Commission is all about global worship, ascribing to God the worship and the honor and the praise that is due to him. That's the first reason that we are praying, God, would you bless us? Would you cause me to be so satisfied with all of your goodness and all that you are and all that you have done that I cannot help but sing and sing to those who have not yet heard so that they in turn can sing your praises. The second reason is this. We get this in verse 2. You'll see that the reason that we pray for this is that the nations not only will sing, but they will know his saving power. They will know his saving power. Look here at verse 2. God, would you bless us, be gracious to us, verse 1. Why? That, verse 2, starts with this word that, which is the purpose. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. It's important to realize here, when the scripture uses the word nations... It's not talking about what we typically think about nations, these geopolitical boundaries that get set up and move around. They're a bit fluid depending on wars and different things that happen over history. That's not what, what the Bible has in mind when it talks about nations. What it has in mind, the word ethnos, 
is where we get our word ethnicity. This is what it has in mind. There are people groups, people groups that have a unique language and culture. So these social linguistic groups, there's about 16, 17,000 of them that have been identified in the world. These are people groups, ethnicities. This is what the Bible means by nations, that, this, that his saving power would be known among all ethnicities from every people group. You'll see other language in the scripture talk about this, like in Revelation, from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Tongue means language. So this is this idea. God wants people everywhere Everywhere, it doesn't matter where you grew up, what language you know, that you would come to know Jesus and his saving power. It's interesting how it says that they, they would come to, um, that your way would be known, his saving power. That God has this way of saving people. It kind of reminds us of Isaiah 35, that there was this way, this highway of holiness that God promises to put his redeemed people on. Not these super spiritual, check all the boxes, religious people, they automatically get on the road. No, that's not what he's talking about. It says that the redeemed, those who have been bought out of sin, they have been washed clean, forgiven, and transformed and put on this way, this highway of holiness. Holiness just simply means to be utterly devoted. Utterly devoted. You have been set apart to be utterly devoted to God. And then we read, as we fast forward to the New Testament, that this highway of holiness actually isn't a piece of asphalt, but a person named Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is God's highway of holiness. He's that way in which he is able to rescue sinners like us and bring us, redeem us, forgive us, adopt us, and get us on this highway, this path that leads to God. This is why Jesus calls himself the door or the narrow gate. This is why it's so important to see Jesus in this way because I find as I talk to lots of different people, whether on university campuses or in my neighborhood or in our various communities, you interact with people coming from all sorts of different religious backgrounds. And you hear religions all around the world claiming different claims about how to know God and how to get to God. It's important to hear what Scripture tells us about Jesus. Jesus says that I am the way, the way, the truth, the life. It doesn't matter if all these other religions tell you, no, 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 we have found another way to God. We have found another way to fulfillment, another way to paradise, another way to enlightenment, another way to self-satisfaction or self-actualization. No, Jesus says there is only one way to God. And it's not as though when I was in India last year, I was talking with a fellow, and he had had this experience in which he prayed in Jesus' name and he was healed, and so he had added Jesus to the list of gods that he had. And so Jesus was now not only in the top three, he was probably in the top, he was one out of all ten that he was worshiping actively. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not a way, or he's not the most powerful way. He is the way, exclusively. If, if people are telling you, yes, this is a way to God, and they're not going to Jesus exclusively as God himself, then it is not a path that leads to God because it doesn't lead to Jesus. It's got to lead to Jesus in a, an exclusive him and him only way. God himself says, this is my son on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen to him. And Jesus himself says, I am that way. Luke adds his voice by the Spirit in Acts 4, verse 12, and says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mankind, among all peoples of all ethnicities, by which we must be saved. We could spend a million lifetimes Searching a million rabbit trails, they would all be dead ends and trying to find just another way to God. God himself has made a way by sending his son. We couldn't make a way, we couldn't find a way. He is the one 
who not just, he not only made a way, he sent the way, Jesus, his own son. This is important to know as you have come to know his saving power, you are able now to testify to others about his saving power. If you are someone who is trusting in Jesus Christ today, it means that you have a story, you have a testimony, and you're able to share that testimony with others. Not in a way of just like, uh, you know, this kind of worked for me, I don't know if it'll work for you, but you know, this was my kind of path, and I don't know what your path, not in that kind of a relative, relativistic way, in a way that, no, I, this was my life. This is what was going on in my life before God saved me. This is what Jesus has done in my life. Do you know Jesus? Has anyone ever told you about Jesus? Have you ever read about his life? Have you ever heard some of the words that he said? And you're able to testify or be a witness, an ambassador of Jesus in a very, very simple way by using something so powerful as your own story, as your own testimony. You're saying, this is what God's saving power has done in my life, and you're able now to share that with others. And in so doing, people that God has brought into your life begin to hear the song that you're singing of the gospel woven into your own testimony and story. We hear, this is one of the reasons why we pray, God, would you bless us? Would you so satisfy us with you that we cannot help but share what you have done in our life, the story you gave me? And sometimes, sometimes I used to think, ah, I wish I had something a little bit more jazzy, you know, like some, some little more spicy chapters in my own story to, you know, really make it sound like a really captivating testimony. Everyone I know that has a really, you know, amazing testimony wishes those chapters weren't in their story. They wish they knew Christ a lot earlier. They wish they didn't have to go into such pathways of sin before coming to know Jesus. Wherever, wherever you find yourself, wherever God has saved you, the story that he has given you, that is exactly the story he meant for you to have. And he's got very, very good purposes for it. He's going to bring along your pathway specific people that are going to resonate with your story perhaps more than maybe someone to the left or to the right of you. There's something about your story and the way God's saving power manifested itself in your life. They're like, wow, I can really relate to that. That's a gift. That's a part of the purpose he has for you in going to all peoples and singing the gospel through your story. That's the second reason. The third reason that we see here, not only that we would pray that God would you bless us, would we be so satisfied with your goodness that we cannot help but sing so the nations will sing your praise so that they would know your saving power, but they would also see God as their shepherd. They would see him as shepherd. We get this, interestingly, in verse 4. It says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For? See that word there, for? It's guiding you as to the reasons why the nations would sing. They're going to sing because, God, you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. These two words, judge and guide, together give us this idea of a shepherd. Not just any shepherd. A sovereign shepherd, a, a, a sovereign shepherd who reigns and rules over the whole world and over all nations, over all peoples, whether they acknowledge him or not. He guides the nations. He is an absolute control of world history. He knows exactly when wars start and not start. And he's not just kind of aware of when they're going to happen. He's the one who's actually unfolding all of world history. He is in complete control of all nations, and he is fully aware of what's happening. His eyes are upon all the nations. I was reading earlier in the Psalms how his, he looks upon all the nations and all of their works. Nothing is hidden from his gaze, and he will bring all peoples from all nations to account. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? Why did you think that? There is nothing that will be unobserved by God. There is nothing that will just kind of be skipped over. Now, the reason why the nations praise him, because that's a fearful thought. God knows everything, and he will judge me accordingly, rightly, justly, for everything? Yes. But 
what leads the nations to praise him is because there is so much injustice in this world. There's so much wickedness and so much oppression and so much brokenness that there are peoples who oppress peoples. And those who are under oppression cry out to God, asking, God, do you not see what's happening here? Do you not hear what's happening? And God is often in Scripture, he's called this father to the fatherless, this protector of widows and orphans, those who are needy and poor and cry out for mercy. He is quick to come to their aid. And so he is the one, you'll see, who judges with equity. You can't pawn God off. You can't bribe him. You can't pay him. He's not shown favoritism. He's not showing partiality. He is a perfect and righteous judge. He only does right. And when people who are under injustice and under oppression cry out, for him, cry out to him for mercy and help, he is quick to come to their aid. He is the perfect judge. There isn't anything that you've experienced, any injustice in your own life, by someone else that God will not hold them accountable God takes care of every evil ever committed on the face of the earth in one of two places, either on the cross or in hell. Those are the two places God says, I will completely right every wrong. I will deal with every sin. I will take every act of injustice, and I will hold it to account. Either when they will be judged righteously for their acts, and they will go to hell, or it was all, all, of the righteous, all of that unrighteous injustice was put on Jesus and God's wrath was poured out on Christ and swallowed by Christ so that now there is no more punishment for that sin. And now that person who's trusting in Christ is, is free, is forgiven, is washed clean. Those are the two places in which God's justice is fully dealt with and every injustice is accounted for. And as a result, all nations will say that you can't improve on that. You, you can't enhance that. Have you ever wondered why when you see in the news when there was a, a homicide that happens and the person who murdered the other is put, brought to conviction, they're sentenced, maybe even life in prison, and you kind of feel like, okay, that sort of deals with it, but there's still something missing. There's still someone missing. Someone got murdered. It doesn't feel like justice has been fully accomplished. It's just, it's not satisfying. That's because there still awaits the perfect judge who will completely bring an account for everything, everything. It is important for the nations to see God as, their, as this judging ruling shepherd who doesn't miss anything. He sees it all and he will bring account. But he also guides the nations. This word guide also brings out this other aspect of his shepherding, care, which is that he, he leads nations and guides nations. He is in complete control. This really is a picture of the way like a military commander would lead an army or a shepherd would lead a flock of sheep or the way parents lead a family. This is the idea of guiding them. And there's really no nation that would know what it's like to be guided by God more than Israel themselves. Israel, you'll remember, they were enslaved in Egypt and God rescued them up out of Egypt and guided them through the wilderness for 40 years, providing for them, protecting them, shepherding them, guarding them, keeping them all that time. This is why David is moved in Psalm 23 to declare, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be in want. He takes care of all of my needs, all that is needed. And this is a part of why God calls us as his people to sing this song, that we would be so satisfied with his goodness that the nations would see how God not only takes care of and judges perfectly his people by putting our injustices, our sins on Christ, but would see us being led and guided by God day by day, hour by hour, as he leads us as a good shepherd. 
And as the nations begin to see this, as the psalmist is singing this in Psalm 67 and encouraging the Israelites in the original context to sing this song, what do we see happening here in verse 6? The earth has yielded its increase. This is like a picture of the world being like a barren field, but Israel, God's people, going out and sowing seeds of this is who God is. This is what he's done. These are the promises of God. This is my story. This is my testimony. And it's like sowing good gospel seed in a barren land, and it finds good soil, and it sprouts up and begins to bear fruit. And people from different nations and tribes and ethnicities and languages are coming to the Lord. Uh, you see this all the way back from uh, you can take all sorts of examples in the Old Testament. Think of Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law. He was a Midianite pagan priest. And when Israel had come out of Israel, sorry, Israel had come up out of Egypt, and Moses was recounting to his father-in-law all that God had done for them and rescuing them, Jethro praises Yahweh. He honors the Lord. Truly, the Lord is God. We see when David becomes king of Israel that the surrounding nations, the people that were Hittites and Jebusites and Canaanites were beginning not only to join themselves to David, but to David's God, the Lord. And they were forsaking their idols. They were forsaking their old religion and old ways of worship and, uh, and coming and uniting themselves by faith to David's God. You see this with King Solomon, that you, the queen of Sheba, she came to see the wisdom. She had heard rumors, and she said, I hadn't heard half of the, what I'm seeing today. In seeing the wisdom of God, and she declares that the Lord is God. You're seeing the nations, even in the Old Testament, beginning to come to the one true and living God. And as this is describing it, it's like the harvest is coming in. The fruit is on the tree. It's, you're beginning to gather the crop. But then... Something went wrong. We see here that the yield is starting to come in, but then Israel stops singing the song. We see all throughout the Old Testament at various times, and sadly and finally near your, the end of the Old Testament, Israel is exiled. They're sent away because they had they had forsaken God. They had put this song away. And instead of being a light to the nations who were in darkness around them, they embraced the darkness. Instead of singing the truths of who God is to the nations around them, they put the song away and they started downloading other playlists of other gods and singing their songs and dabbling into their worship. And they abandoned God. They forsook God. And they they became just as lost as the nations around them. And people began to wonder, is, is that it? Is that all that happens? Is God not going to fulfill that promise he gave to Abraham? What about that prayer to Aaron? Is that ever going to be fulfilled? Is God ever going to answer his own prayer, his own promise that he gave to Abraham? Yes. <laughs> yes, God always fulfills his promises, 100%. And the way he does it is by sending his son, Jesus Christ. An answer to Aaron's own prayer, a, a fulfillment of his own promise. God himself has to come and do what we could not do. Jesus really is that, that long-awaited promised seed. Abraham was given this promise that you will have a seed, a son, and he will be a blessing to all peoples. Jesus is the great, 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 great grandson of Abraham and is that long-awaited seed through whom all the nations are blessed by doing what Abraham did, putting their faith in Christ, and it was counted to them as righteous. And in so doing, they come into a relationship with God and experience the fullness of God, the blessing of God. Jesus is the answer to Abraham's promise, but he's also the answer to Aaron's prayer. Jesus is the great high priest. The high priest was a mediator between sinful people and a holy right God and trying to bring them together through a sacrifice that was in the place of or in the substitute of the sinful people so that they could draw near without dying. 
That was Aaron's job. That's why there was all this sacrificial system of taking a lamb or some pigeons in my place. They would die so I wouldn't and I could come into fellowship again with God and be forgiven. Jesus is the perfect high priest. He is the greater Aaron, that he not only is the perfect mediator because he is God who has now become fully man, so he's actually in himself able to bring the two in together in one relationship and bring us to God, but he himself is not only the high priest, but the very sacrifice itself. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is that very substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf in which our sins were put on top of and whose blood was shed and t- to take away all of our guilt so that we might be brought to God. Jesus is the answer to Aaron's prayer. In 2 Corinthians, it says that Jesus is actually the The glory of God is found in the very face of Christ. So that Christ now, that God's face shines on his own people through Christ. He is the very radiance and exact imprint of God. And his countenance shines on his people. Jesus fulfills both Aaron's prayer and Abraham's promise. And this is exactly what God had in mind. Even in the Old Testament, Isaiah 49, verse 6 says, It's too light of a thing that you, my servant, who is Jesus, may be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too light of a thing for God simply to send his son to save one ethnic group. Why would just save one ethnicity? Why not save people from every ethnicity, from every nation, tribe, and tongue? He is is able to do that. And this is exactly what God had in mind. And when Jesus shows up, he says, I am here. He says, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is this light that God sends into the world that will draw all people to himself. And we are beginning to see now, even in our own day, this harvest coming in, this crop, this yield beginning to come in where people from every nation, tribe, and tongue are beginning to come into the people of God. I mean, just look around here. What a delight, what a joy it is to be in Ottawa and to see your faces, people who have come from all around the world worshiping the one true and living God. Just as an aside, last year, 2019, marked the 200th anniversary in which my people came from North England and immigrated to Canada to start a new life, to search for something better than what they had. And it was a good reminder to me and to my family that almost everyone here in Canada has come from somewhere at some time. Maybe you just came to Canada. Maybe it's your great-great-grandparents who came to Canada. But we are, we're all, I just find now more than ever, we are aware that, that this world is not our own. We are in constant movement and moving from city to city, sometimes country to country, sometimes continent to continent. And God, is, God uses this for a variety of purposes, but I think one of them is to make us aware that this is not our home. There, there's got to be something more than this here. And he brings us to wherever we will have maximum opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I think you live on your road and in that apartment building. I think that's why you take that bus at that time all the time and that person keeps sitting beside you. I think that's why that person in class always takes that seat. I think that's why you have that professor. I think that's why you have that supervisor or director or boss at work. God has done that on purpose. In his providence, he is bringing others all around the world to get them around you, on your hallway and on your road and street and in your life so that they can hear the gospel being sung from your life. That's why you're where you are. So the great commission, the mission of sending the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel to all peoples would continue to be fulfilled. We live in a unique time of age where people are traveling all around the world in globalization, what an incredible opportunity to maximize and steward that in spreading the name of Jesus Christ.
There are so many things that are happening in this world in which the gospel is spreading. Just to highlight a couple of them, uh, from the statistics that we can gather, a great spot to look is joshuaproject.net. It's a great website. There are roughly three-quarters of a billion people that are believers, not just general Christian adherents, but people who would identify as born-again evangelical believers. That's about one in ten people on the globe. One in ten people. Did you know that currently right now, more people are, are trusting in Jesus, are converting to the Christian faith, trusting in Christ, twice as fast as people are adherents to Islam and three times as fast as adherents to Hinduism. There is this rapidness in which people are turning to Christ in our own day that has rarely been seen in history. Right now, the gospel is spreading so fast, particularly in the Muslim world, that in the last 50 years there has been more people convert to Christ and Christianity than, than since Islam started 1,400 years ago. We are seeing a massive working. Iran is a great example. Right now, every year, the population of born-again believers increases by 20%. If this continues for three or four more decades, there will actually be a Christian majority population in Iran. Iran. This is what God is doing in our own day. So merciful. And yet, as we see the gospel going out at such a pace and in certain locations, there are still other spots and places that have not yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of Pakistan. Pakistan has over 200 million people people, 99% of them Muslim, uh, 99% of them considered unreached. They have little to no access to the gospel. You're like, how can that work? Even in our own day, even with the internet, because they block it, and you're not allowed in. And there are places like that in the world where the gospel hasn't gone in. There are over half a million villages in India that have no recorded record whatsoever of the gospel ever going to that place. In India itself, there's over 2,000 people groups, 2,000 people groups in India itself that would be considered least reached. They have little to no access to the gospel. There are other locations in India, other people groups in which they are beginning to see revival in astounding rate, but there's still other sections that are completely unreached. This is a, there's a massive opportunity in which we live in a very unique age where more and more ethnicities, more and more people groups are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and there's fewer and fewer people groups that are left who have not yet heard, who haven't heard the song. They don't know the lyrics. And so this is where Paul talks about in Romans, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching, without someone going, without someone singing the gospel to them? And maybe God is stirring in your heart. Maybe this is where the Lord is leading you. Maybe that is where God is calling you to go. Go somewhere to a people group and to a place that hasn't yet heard the gospel. We'll get to some different applications in just a moment. But I want to highlight this one last group. We've talked about areas in which the gospel is going out and we're seeing many, the harvest coming in from many people groups. We've seen this other area where there's many who still haven't heard. But then there's a third group that we forget about. But this is a, these are many people groups who at some point in their history, in world history, have heard the gospel. They did hear that song. And their ancestors put faith in Jesus Christ. They experienced revival in their places. And yet, over the decades and over the centuries, they're like, ah, we're going to move on. We're going to go find something better. And they've walked away from the gospel. These would be post-Christian areas. And much of Europe and increasingly North America is like this. You think of various ethnicities. Again, very quickly, you think of uh, Portugal. Uh, Portuguese, worldwide, there's only 3% evangelical. Dutch, there's only 4% evangelical. Very Christian countries and yet completely secularized and post-Christian. Greek, in, in Greece itself, the Greek ethnicity, there's only 0.5% evangelical. The New Testament was written in Greek. <laughs> 
And yet they have abandoned the gospel in many, many places. In Canada, in this country made up of many, many ethnicities, the evangelical population is around 7% in Canada, except if you just go across the river in Quebec. There are 0.5% evangelicals among Quebecois. This is, this is just minutes away. And there is a great need for the gospel there. Um, there are many people, I believe you know, who are actively giving their lives and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ among Quebecois. And so we must continue to pray for them, Brother Eric, Pastor Eric. So this is a great need. And do you know that the, the same amount of percentage of evangelicals among Quebecois, 0.5%, is the same percentage of evangelical Jews, Jews who were given this song, who were initially given this psalm to sing to the nations, only 0.5% Jews around the 15 or 16 million Jews around the world would consider Jesus as Messiah, as Yeshua. Mm-mm. They, they don't believe that Jesus is their Messiah, except a small, small remnant. We need to go. We, we who have been given this song, we have, who have heard the lyrics and trust in the one whose, whose song it is, we need to go and sing it. We need to sing it to those who have not yet heard, to those who have heard and forgot, those who have on our hearing and being a part of helping them then begin to multiply and go and begin to sing it to others who have not yet heard. We are a part of a great work that God is doing in our day. And I'm going to close with this. These are three ways that I would love for you to pray and consider being a part of this mission. You might be thinking, who am I? (laughs) I live in a little spot on a little street. I have a little job. What can I do? What can I do? A lot. Especially when we work together as a family. And when we begin to work together as a family of faith, when we begin to see what God is doing in his providence, he doesn't do anything random. He does everything on purpose. When you see where you live where you work, where you study, that is exactly where God has placed you in order for you to grow in your faith to the greatest degree and for others to hear about Christ to the, to the greatest degree. These are three things that I want you to do and consider to do. One is to pray. Pray, God, would you remind me how to sing this song again? You wouldn't be here unless someone sang it to you. You're here because someone sang this good song to you. God, would you remind me of the song so that I can sing? Would you bless me? Would you, again, remind me of all that you are and all your fullness, all your goodness, so that I cannot help but sing? Pray, God, help me sing this song. Two, pray that you would give, continue to give maximally to the spreading of this song, the song of the gospel to all peoples, not only uh, with money, cash. It, it, takes, it takes money to rent places like this or to print Bibles and to distribute or to make websites and allow the gospel to get into places that are really difficult. There's, it, takes, it takes money, but that's just not it. God doesn't need our money. This is an act of worship when we give money and he uses it in the spreading of the gospel, That is one of the ways we give ourselves, but giving your time, giving your resources, giving all of yourself, God, what? Use me. God, I just, I completely surrender to you. I am yours. You have bought me and adopted me. I'm in your family. This is the family business, spreading the name of Jesus Christ, singing this song to all peoples. God, what is my role in this? Where do you want me? How can I sing this best? This just giving yourself fully to him and all that you are and all your resources, all God has given you. Surrender it to him and say, God, use me in however you wish. Last one, third, go. Go. Pray, give, and then go with this song. Maybe God is calling you to get on a plane But sometimes we just think, oh, God only uses people who who get on planes with backpacks and cross several time zones and then land in foreign airports. 
That's not, what, that's not only what God is doing. God may be not just sending you across the world. He may be just sending you across the street or across the hallway and using your kitchen table as an evangelistic platform, your hospitality, just bringing people into your home, making a meal for them, sharing your story, asking them theirs, beginning to model Christ, display the radiance and light of the gospel of Christ in your hall or maybe on your floor or on your street and in that cul-de-sac, wherever God has you, go. Take the initiative, as Jesus took the initiative to enter in from heaven into this broken world to rescue us, so we are also sent. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Go and make disciples. Go wherever you are, wherever he's planted you. God, where do I go today? Where will you send me? Pray that you may sing this song, continue to give your life to it, and go. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for writing this song for us that we would know the song to sing. Lord, you have made our heart glad. You have put your praise in our heart because of what you have done. Lord, there is no other way that we could have come to know you but by you coming to us, sending your son, that we through him may have heard the lyrics of the song of salvation and be saved. Lord, satisfy us again in a fresh way with your goodness so that we cannot help but sing. Sing to our professors, sing to our classmates, sing to our coworkers, sing to our landlords, sing to our family, our aunts and uncles who may not be saved, our children who may not be saved. Inviting our neighbors, Lord God, over, using our kitchen and our dining room and our kitchen table as a gospel great commission room in which people are hearing the gospel and eating great food. God, we pray that you would get glory in all of this. God, would you be praised among all peoples. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.